Well, I'm kind of excited because today I get about, I get to talk about something that I haven't been allowed to talk about for 18 and a half years. That was kind of cool, it was a symbol. <laughs> it was uh, March 17th, 1994, and my wife Susan, my wonderful wife Susan, was working on the taxes and wanted to know if I would take the kids somewhere so that she could focus, and absolutely hating to work on taxes, I gladly agreed. Uh, Jonathan was five at the time, Elizabeth was four, and Becky was two, and Coleman was still in utero. That's uh, Elizabeth there on the left, Becky in the middle, John on the right, and Coleman after he was out of utero. But I took the, the three older kids to McDonald's near the Westminster Mall because that McDonald's had this gigantic intestine-like tube structure for the kids to, to play in. Traffic was heavy. We got lost. Took forever to get our Happy Meals. Playland was an absolute zoo. I mean, there were like a billion kids and two birthday parties going on. I mean, grandparents, parents, relatives, friends, neighbors, these two birthday parties right there at the base of this giant intestine-like tube structure where the tubes emptied out into the room and children continuously shot out of those tubes. Well, I made the kids take a few bites of their cheeseburgers before they ran off in their socks to play on the tube structure. I, I then sat back, drank my coffee, and tried to relax, but I couldn't relax because of the gazillion screaming children. I sat there quite a while, and I remember I began pondering just how rude and undisciplined other people's children were. I judged them, and, and their parents, unlike me, Reverend Hyatt with my extensive education, Christian commitment, hours of listening to Focus on the Family broadcast, these parents were ignorant and obviously inadequate disciplinarians. And I remember at that point, I remember distinctly like this little voice in, in my head that, that interrupted my thoughts saying, you know, Peter, whenever you think like this, God seems to teach you an embarrassing lesson. Just then, my four-year-old daughter, Elizabeth, shot out of the green tube. She came running across the room, stood in front of me, trying to catch her, her breath. She, she pointed like this, and she said, Daddy, Becky's up there, and she pooped. I said, I said, what? Becky's up there, and, and she pooped. I, I looked up at that gigantic tube structure, down at my daughter and I said, oh honey, I'm sure you're mistaken. I'm sure she just had some, some gas or something like that. And I remember Elizabeth said, uh-uh, and pointed at her foot. And, and there on her, her left sock was irrefutable evidence that someone had in fact pooped. Just then I began picking up this familiar smell. I, I looked and I could actually see it. I, this was so amazing. I could see it waft out of the tubes and across the room because one after another, those happy party goers, they'd be sitting there eating their cake and all of a sudden they'd go. I mean, it was like the wave at a football game, you know, but instead of people like throwing their hands up in the air, one after another, they just get stink face across, across, across the room. 
Becky's up there and she pooped. Elizabeth was pointing at the very top of the, of the tube structure. I, I jumped up and I ran to the teenage McDonald's employee monitoring the room. In, in a panic, I, I explained the situation, figuring that there must be some sort of protocol for this sort of thing. You know what I mean? And, and so I remember I said to her, what do I do? And she looked at me with this look that, that said, what do you mean we? And, and then she said, go get her. And so I ran over to the tube structure, but I didn't know exactly where she was. So I started interviewing preschoolers flying out of the tubes. They'd hold their nose and talk about the poopy girl up on the, up on the slide. Just then I spotted Becky through this little, you know, red window in one of those red chambers at the top of the red tube. So immediately I scrambled up the tube and I found Becky standing in the, in the red room being counseled by this group of older children that were somehow trying to quarantine my daughter's failure. In unison, they all pointed at at Becky, looking at me and exclaimed, she pooped. I scanned the chamber and and was relieved to see that there wasn't much evidence of Becky's crimes in the little red chamber. But then Becky's counselors all informed me that the incident had occurred in the green tube. And, And we were now in the red chamber at the top of the red tube. Becky had been traveling. In an instance, I I pictured what would later be confirmed as fact by my children. With all those children moving so fast, the evidence of Becky's sin nature had spread through the tube structure like motor oil spreads through the parts of a finely tuned race car engine while while it's revving. I just grabbed Becky, I just grabbed her at that moment, put her on my stomach with all the remaining sin and we slid down. We slid down the tube into the midst of one of those birthday parties. I, I ran past the people eating their happy meals, informed the McDonald's lady that, that I'd found her and ran to the men's room where I did a preliminary clean job, wrapping the panties, the socks, and the remaining excretia in a big wad of toilet paper. I ran back out into the playroom looking for John and Elizabeth, the wad of toilet paper in one hand and Becky in the other hand. But because of my cursory cleaning job, I, I, I did not put my arm under her bare uh, body. I put it around her back, around that little cotton dress that she was wearing, and she had slid down through my, through my arm so that her uh, bare posterior was exposed to the whole world, revealing the fact that she was in fact the perpetrator of the crime and the reason for the foul stench that permeated everything in the McDonald's playland. I made eye contact with no one. As I searched for John and Elizabeth, once I found them and and told them that it was time to leave, they began protesting loudly, but we haven't finished our Happy Meals, we haven't finished our Happy, and I just snapped, I said, you, you get your shoes, get your, you follow me and we go out to the car, and I I marched them out to the car, I I buckled them all in their seatbelts, and then because of the guilt that I seem to carry with me wherever I go, I went back into the McDonald's playland just to appraise the situation. I found the young McDonald's uh, woman who was terrified to go into the tubes and I remember I kind of chuckled to her and I said, this must happen all the time, right? And she said, sir, it's never happened when I've been here. And at that I realized that the evening was just a total loss and I ran away. On the way home in the stinky car, because I had forgot about the evidence on Elizabeth's left sock, On the way home in the stinky car, one of the kids spoke for the others out of the absolute silence. One of them said, Daddy, Uh uh-huh, I don't want to go to that McDonald's anymore.
<laughs> and, and I just started laughing and laughed and laughed. And when I got home, I ran and got a pencil and paper and wrote everything down because I thought I, I never want to forget this. 18 and a half years later now, and uh, we have never ever been back to that McDonald's. <laughs> For at least Seriously, for, for at least six months after that incident, from time to time, little Becky would get really pensive. And then she'd look up at me with those big eyes and she'd say, Daddy, I pooped on the green slide. And I'd look down at her and I'd say, yes, Becky, you did. But Becky, you are awesome. You are awesome. And she'd tell people, I'm Becky awesome and gorgeous too. At Sunday school, when they were taking registration, you know, and asking for middle names, she, she told them, my middle name is Pretty Pretty Princess. My name is Becky Pretty Pretty Princess Hyatt. I told her that. I named her. I, 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 I called her that. You see, they tried to name her that day on the, on the slide, poop girl, they tried to name her. And so for about half a year afterwards, seriously, I mean, it may have even gone on a little longer. I'd say, yes, Becky, you, you pooped on the green slide, but you are a pretty, pretty princess. You are, Becky, pretty, pretty princess Hyatt. That's who you are. You see, it's so obvious to a proud father of a little child. But it must be rather confusing to, to the child. Potty training must be confusing. I was just thinking about that this week. You know, it's got to be a child's first encounter with the knowledge of good and evil, the law, right? Because up, up to that point, everything is good. Everyone smiles at you. Everyone hugs you. Everyone is delighted in you, but one day you begin to learn that the one thing you produce, I mean tangibly produce and have to produce, the one thing you make with your body of flesh is not good. But it is good that you know it's not good and so flesh it down. That's gotta be confusing. One day while Coleman was being potty trained, Susan came in, looked in the toilet, and she said, my goodness, Coleman, that is a, that is a big poo-poo. And Coleman stood up and he said, yep, I poop like a man. <laughs> I poop like a man. And then what did Susan do? She flushed the toilet. She flushed his manhood. She flushed his toilet, his, his trophy, right down the drain. Yes, Becky, you pooped on the slide, but you are a pretty, pretty princess. Yes, Coleman, you poop like a man. Man makes the poop, but the poop does not make the man. In other words, Becky and Coleman, you are not what you do do. <laughs> You're not your poop. You are not 
you're not what you do, whether you judge it bad, Becky, or whether you judge it good, Coleman. You're not what you do. You are far more than you know. You're my daughter. You're my son. And I will tell you who you are, Rebecca Hyatt and Coleman Hyatt. You are my treasure. My treasure. And no matter how deep the poo-poo in which you find yourself, cover yourself, hide yourself, even boast in yourself, I will see you. And I will come for you. And I tell you who you are. See the kids on the side, they all counsel Becky and judge Becky in their knowledge of good and evil. Do this, do that. But her sister Elizabeth knew that this was just more than Becky could handle. Becky needed her dad. Not just because he was stronger, but because he w- w- was, was, was better. He, he wouldn't only see chaos and crap, he'd see Becky. Pretty, pretty princess. Well, you see, this world is an awful lot like that gigantic intestine-like tube structure at McDonald's. And once you realize that you've made a mess of things, that you're lost, covered in crap, and surrounded by accusers and angry advice, well, it makes a big difference to know that you have a father and that he sees you and that he names you and that he loves you and so he'll come for you no matter how deep you're buried in the crap, whether it's your crap or somebody else's crap. Makes a difference. Ephesians chapter 3, 14 through 21. For this reason, because the dividing walls have been torn down and God will anakephalio, unite all things in Christ. Remember, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, every family. Literally, every fatherhood, every lineage, uh, every family. In Greek, I bow my knees before the patera, from whom every patria is named. Now that probably means, God is probably saying that all good fatherhood is derived from God's fatherhood. So, so, so Paul is saying, think of a good father and God is better than that. He's better than that. But no matter what, I, I think he's certainly uh, saying, I, I am the father. God is saying, I am the father of all fathers. And, and you know, fathers name things. Father of all fathers. So, uh, children of Israel, I'm your father. Children of Esau, that's Edom, I'm your father. Children of Ishmael, that's the Arabs, I'm your father. Children of Adam, fallen Adam, I'm your father and I name you. I tell you who you are. In the Bible, names are a huge deal. They, they tell you who you are. And so God tells Abram, no longer are you called Abram, but Abraham, father of nations. Through the God-man, he says, no longer are you Jacob. Remember, he wrestled this into him. No longer are you Jacob, you're Israel, the one who wrestles with God. No longer are you called Simon. No longer the name of a coward. You're Peter the rock. And on this rock, I will build my church. The revelation says all that are with Christ will conquer and it says this, and to him who conquers he will give a white stone and on the stone a name that no one knows, no one, 
except the one who gives it and the one to whom it is given. And Paul says, God will reconcile all things in Christ Jesus. And God the Father names all families. And, and if you know, God names you, wouldn't he name you with his word? Who is Jesus? So Paul certainly seems to be saying that we're all named through Christ Jesus our Lord and so we are all children of God. Ephesians 4, 5, and 6, just a few sentences from here. Uh, He writes, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. Father of all, over all, through all, and, and in all. If Paul doesn't mean all, he sure is doing a bad job of expressing it, huh? Because he just spent three chapters talking about the Jews and the Gentiles and how they're, they're all uh, united. Uh, and the Jews and the Gentiles is all. I mean, there isn't anybody else other than a Jew or a Gentile. That's, that's all humanity. So God is father of all and names all, yet so many Christians argue that he is not father of all or namer of all. Uh, some argue that we name ourselves. He doesn't name us, we name ourselves. We decide who we are. In other words, we decide whether or not we are children of God. We decide to become children with our will, with our choice, and they they call that faith. And in that scenario then, you see, my savior is my faith, which is really my choice, but it's because of my choices that I find myself covered in crap. So I'm safe from my crap with more of my crap. I'm safe from my bad choices with more bad choices. And that's rather terrifying. See what I'm saying? And some argue, well, of, of course he names his children. I mean, how absurd that he doesn't name his children. He decides uh, his children. He creates his children. He makes his children. He saves his children. But... Not all are his children. Because not all will be saved. Because God does not love his enemies, who happen to also be our enemies, but will in fact torture them forever and ever and ever without end. Now now some people say at this point, not this again, Peter. I mean, why does this matter? Why, why don't you just drop it? Well, I can't drop it because it keeps coming up in the Bible. Why does it matter? Well, it's the only thing that does matter, the heart of your father. When you find yourself lost, covered in your own crap, surrounded by a world of accusers, faith in your father's heart is all that matters. See, if I think that when my father climbs the red tube, if I think that when my father comes back, he'll accept or reject me based upon my choices, my, my crap, well, I'll hide my crap. And I'll hide myself in darkness. And I will run in absolute terror from his glorious appearing, from, from his judgment. And the very last thing I'll do is look him in the eye and confess, Daddy, Abba, I pooped. (laughs) And if I think he won't judge me on my poop, my choices, but instead, instead uh, arbitrarily uh, pick some crappy kids for grace and other crappy kids for 
endless torment, well, I certainly won't be able to trust his heart, Jesus, from the bosom of the Father. I certainly won't be able to trust his heart. In fact, I'll be so terrified, I'll crap my pants. I mean, I will be, to use Freudian terminology, anal explosive or anal retentive, like Martin Luther before the, 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 the Reformation. You know, the famous psychohistorian Eric uh, Erickson, he postulated that Luther had his revelation of salvation by grace on the toilet after a good bowel movement in the Wittenberg Tower. And you see, that kind of makes some sense, doesn't it? But what if, Martin, only a few are saved by grace? What if, Martin, only a few are chosen? What if, Martin, only a few are his children? And not because of their choice, so there's nothing I can do about that. I can't just choose to be his child. I mean, what if only a few are his children? In high school, I I saw this movie. That's Gregory Peck, and he's totally bummed because he just found out that his son is the Antichrist. (laughs) And he found out by shaving his head and finding the number 666. I remember in high school, I was totally afraid to shave my head. Because what if I found out that God was not my father? What if? You know, in the Gospels, at one point Jesus said to the Pharisees, who, by the way, were the Bible study leaders and the pastors of his day, he said uh, t- to those people, he said, you are of your father, the devil. <laughs> oh, that's stressful. <laughs> but does that mean that God is not their father? I mean, did Satan take dust on the sixth day and breathe breath into the dust and make people? No. Satan is not the father of people. Jesus says Satan is the father of lies. So it's almost like each one of those, those men, those Pharisees were not one, but, but two. A false man and a true man. A lie and, and a thing that God had, had made. An outer man and an inner man, like a, a real man covered in fig leaves, or a a real woman covered in crap, like a pretty, pretty princess covered in poo. 
a new man and an old man, a spirit man and a flesh man. In, in the next chapter, Paul's gonna tell us to put on, put on the, the new man, the new anthropos, and put off the old man. Put him off, just let him go. Like, flush him down, just flush him down the toilet, if, if, if you will. And you may think he's you, but he's not you. That's the lie. The old man is the product of a lie. First told in a garden long, long, long ago. Well, anyway, Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, remember what his glory is, according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit. This is what the spirit does, the spirit of Jesus, the Holy Spirit, with the power of his spirit in your inner being, literally inner anthropos in Greek, the inner man, in Hebrew inner Adam, strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner Adam, or more literally, into or toward the inner man, into the inner Adam, that Christ, whom Paul calls the eschatos Adam, utmost Adam, in the inner Adam, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Now, Paul seems to be saying, in the, in the words of St. Augustine, that faith in me is Christ in me. That my faith is actually Christ's faith taking root in me. The spirit of the ultimate Adam in me. And Paul really said that, right, already in, in Ephesians chapter two. He said, uh, you've been saved by grace through faith and this, this, not of yourselves. Your faith in God the Father is the spirit of God the Son given to you. In Galatians 2.20, it just says, it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who gave himself for me, who loved me and gave himself up for me. Christ is my new man. Or me in communion with his spirit, perhaps, is that new man. I mean, there's this incredible mystery there. John even says, we don't know really what we'll be, but we know that we'll be like him. It's amazing. But the new man, the new man is God's creation. So what's the old man? He must be my creation. He's the self that I create by believing a lie. And, and what's the lie? The lie is that if I take the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, I can use it to make myself in the image of God through the power of my own will, my, my flesh. The lie is that I can create myself. But all I can create in the power of my own flesh is crap. I mean, I, I literally eat life and crap death. Sorry. Sorry to state the absolutely obvious that we all work so incredibly hard to, to hide. But in this fallen world, where my flesh feels only you know, its own sorrow, feels only its, its own pleasure, I take life, called food, and crap death. Just like I take the fruit from the fruit of the knowledge of the, the, the fruit of the knowledge from, from, from the tree, the knowledge of good and evil. I, I, I take life from the tree. 
and make death. I've got a river of something coming out of me. Out of my body of death. That's what Paul calls it in Romans 7. Out of my flesh. See, the problem with my flesh is not its physicality. The problem with my flesh is that it's self-centered, feeling only its own pain, its own sorrow, and therefore it's cut off from God who is life. It's the me that I have created or think I have created. It's the product of a lie told in a garden long, long ago and told every day, whispered in your ear, told to you by the principalities and powers, the world rulers of this present darkness. And so listen to what Paul writes in Philippians 3, 4 through 9 if you think I'm being outrageous. Listen to Paul. If anyone else thinks he has reason for confidence in the flesh, talking about the flesh, I have more. Circumcised on the eighth day of the people of, Hebrew, of, of Israel, of, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the, now this is good stuff, okay, in Paul's day, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor of the church, as to righteousness, under the law, knowledge of good and evil, under the law, blameless. Do you notice that everything Paul lists as a work of the flesh is a religious good deed? Not just sex, drugs, and, and rock and roll, but the self that he had made. It's, it's all sin, under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish, in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, knowledge of good and evil, but that which comes through the faith of Christ. Literally, the faith of Christ. The righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him. I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as scubala. In the lexicon, it says scubala is half-eaten corpses and dung. Scubala in Greek. And now I'm going to stop talking baby talk and talk to you like adults, right? This is why I said if, if you want the kids to go downstairs, they, they maybe ought to go downstairs. But if they're here, that's fine because you, you can explain why you can't say this at grandma's house. But the translation is clear. It's not rubbish, Paul is saying, I, I have suffered the loss of all things, my accomplishments, my resume, my position, my honor. I have suffered the loss of all those things and I count them as shit. It's all shit. Now Paul's gonna soon talk about rotten speech or unclean speech. But he does not mean words that describe unclean things. He means words that do unclean and rotten things. He means speech that is slander or, or gossip or, or cursing, uh, speaking a curse upon someone, condemning someone. He means speech that creates dividing walls of hostility. But Paul's very explicit in, in, in the Greek here. That life that I produce in the power of my flesh, according to my knowledge of good and evil, it's all shit. So you see, sin is not a small thing. 
We keep thinking it's a small thing. Sin is your old everything. Everything I produce apart from faith in grace and by grace, it's all shit. Now that is some shocking and painful news, especially if you're proud of your shit, you know? Shocking and painful, whether you've judged it bad, like Becky, or good, like Coleman. Bad shit or good shit, it's all shit. It's shit, shit, shit. But now listen to the gospel. You are not your shit. Christian, you're not your shit. Do you know that? You're God's man. That's who you are. Jolene, you're not your shit. You are his pretty, pretty princess, and he desperately wants you to know that. John, you're not your shit. You're his man. You're not your shit. Man makes the shit, but the shit does not make the man. God the Father makes the man. God the Father names him with his word. Who is Jesus? Principies and powers, oh, they will work day and night to name you with your shit. Satan, the accuser, will get you to focus on your shit. Bad shit or good shit, it's still shit. And then he'll tell you that you are your shit. And then he'll expose the stench of your shit. And then he'll tell you to flush the shit down the toilet so that you'll flush yourself down the toilet thinking that you are your shit. (laughs) And now I'm going to stop saying shit. (laughs) And we'll move on. But do you know what the mark of the beast is? I don't think it's some freaky weird tattoo in 2059. I think the mark of the beast is allowing the beast to name you. Six is the number of the sixth day. The day on which Adam falls and tries to name himself. I think it's the day in which we're living. And 666 was a numeric code for the emperor Nero in, in that day. You see, the beast was the empire of Rome, and the beast from the land was the religious institutions of old Israel. I think the mark of the beast is allowing the beast, allowing the principalities and powers of this world to name you, to tell you who you are. Whether those powers be the empire of Rome, the KKK, the Masonic Order, the United States Government of America, or the institutional church. They will all find a way to tell you that you are what you do. And if you believe them, you will be judged by the burning hot grace of your Father in heaven. Your lot will be in the lake of fire and divinity. And I think that means your Father will literally burn that mark right off of you. Your Father will burn the crap right out of you because he loves you and he refuses to flush you down the toilet. So rather than have him burn it from you at the end of days, why not just surrender it to him right now? 
just look them in the face. Whenever in doubt and say, I pooped. And then listen to him as he says to you, I know you pooped. (laughs) But that's not who you are. You're my man, my little man. You're my pretty, pretty princess. And believe him, don't, don't believe the lie that you are your sin, for then you'll run from his presence, hide yourself in outer darkness, until that day that hell has thrown the lake of fire and divinity, and this whole dark world is flooded with the burning hot, brilliant glory of God. Ephesians 3.17, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. You see, everything good, everything good grows out of love. Rooted and grounded in love. May have strength to comprehend with all the saints, with all the, with all the saints. You need to stop comparing your crap to other people's crap. It's all crap. Comprehend with all the saints. What is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. So if you're thinking impossible, God can't do this. Listen closely. To him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever and ever, amen. Paul prays that we would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. What's the love of Christ? Well, if you remember, it's revealed on a tree. I think the love of Christ must be the good, and Christ is the word of the Father who names us. So he prays that we'd know the good that surpasses knowledge. How do we know what we cannot know? Well, in scripture there are two ways of knowing. One by taking knowledge and the other by being known. One by conquering the good and the other by being conquered by the good. One by taking knowledge of the good and the other by receiving knowledge of the good. One like earning a name for yourself, you know, like reverend or doctor. And the other like receiving a name for yourself, a name like son or or daughter. One like law and the other like grace, one like taking fruit from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, and the other like receiving body broken and blood shed from the tree on which Christ was crucified. One is taking life and the other is receiving life. You see, I suspect that it's really all one tree. Those two trees in the garden and that one tree on the hill on which Jesus was crucified and the one tree in the new Jerusalem from which, you know, and through flows that river, river of, of life. If we take his life, it's sin. But if we receive his life, it's grace. It's the knowledge of the good. Because the love of Christ is the good. You know, God, uh, God told us not to take the knowledge of, of the good, but, but I think he wants us to have the knowledge of, of the, the good. I think he wants us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. See, if someone says, 
do you know the love of Christ? How do you answer? You can conquer love, crucify love, dissect love, and thus know love like a, a law that you apply to yourself. You can, you can conquer love or you can be conquered by love. You can fall in love and know him, know him like a pretty, pretty princess knows her prince. Once he's rescued her from the deepest mire, and when that princess comes to know her prince, that's when she learns her name at the end of the story. You know, when I say the name Snow White, you don't think of frozen water, right? You think of, of a story, a story that gives meaning to the name. When I say Sleeping Beauty or Cinderella, you know the name because you, you know the story. Maybe God is telling you your story in order to reveal your name. Uh, your name. Maybe it's, a, maybe, it's a, maybe it's a good name. The story, however, may include your crap, and, and I think it probably does include your crap, but that's not your name. It's part of revealing your name. I mean, if Snow White hadn't bitten the apple and gotten herself in just a truckload of crap, she would never have been saved by a prince. And, and she and we would not truly know the meaning of her name, the, the princess wakened by love's first kiss. That's what it means to be Snow White, pure as driven snow. I mean, if, if Becky had not pooped on the side of McDonald's, she might not have known that I'll come for her no matter how deep the poop. She might not know that no matter what she does, no matter how she succeeds in life or thinks she succeeds, no matter how she fails in, in life, or no matter what her grades at CSU, she, she, she is and she will always be my pretty, pretty princess. Because you see, I know something about Becky. I know something that Becky has a very hard time knowing because she wasn't around uh, before she was born. I, I know something that she does not know. I know that Becky did not make herself. I know that because I'm her father. She is not the product of her own will. She is the manifestation of the will of God. She's a miracle. And check this out, I'm not really her father. <laughs> no rumors, I'm the father of her flesh, I'm pretty sure. But God is her real father. I may fail her one day, and I think I probably have failed her many, many, many days, but God is her father. He creates her, he names her, and I'm convinced that he'll come for her no matter how deep it gets, and he wants her to know that, but not just as a theory. So what did he do? He made the world, and he planted a garden. And in the garden he planted two trees that become one tree and he allowed her to sin. He allows all of us to sin so that we might see he saves us from our sin. So that we might see he saves us 
from ourselves so that we might see he makes us, he saves us, he created us and he saves us with his word, Jesus Christ and him crucified. He wants us to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. He wants us to know the good and he is good. He wants us to know him, but not as a theory. He wants us to know him quite literally as our life. And knowing him, we'll know ourselves, then know our name. We don't make it for ourselves, he makes it and he's revealing it. I don't know exactly what it is, but I know this, you will share it with him. For we, he will have actually lived it with you, (laughs) even lived it in you. He's the one that hands you that white stone with a name on it that only you know and only he knows. He is God saves. In a word, Yeshua. In English, Jesus. If you know that, if you know him, you won't let the principalities and powers name you. The names they hurl at you will drop off your back like water on a duck's back or or like arrows bouncing off some kind of brilliant shield that God has handed to you. If you know that, you won't let the principalities and powers name you, and you won't compete with others for a name, for you will know that every real name is grace. And you won't run from your father when he appears in his glorious and brilliant nature, in all his glory on judgment day. And even now daily, you'll confess your crap and listen for your name. For even now, he's with you. Even now, he's rescuing you from your crap. You know, as I sat there, in the McDonald's on March 17th in 1994, judging everyone else and feeling superior to everyone else. I was drowning in my own crap. And so as I rescued Becky, my pretty, pretty princess, from her crap, my father in heaven was rescuing me, his little man, from my crap. Now, I chose to tell you this morning a cute story about me and Becky and crap. But I could have told you some stories that would literally curl your hair, also involving crap. Could have told you some stories that would curl your hair because there's some really, really bad crap that happens in this world. And there really are demons that tell you you are your crap. And I really want you to know that even if you had no father, even if your father was evil, God Almighty is your father. And Jesus can handle the absolute worst crap. In fact, he'll use the crap to tell you your story, which is his story, and thus reveal your name, and so change the meaning of all your crap from shame into glory. I could tell you those stories. Some couldn't bear to hear them. Some would find them too incredible to believe. We're out of time anyway. But for now, I I just hope that you could believe this. For 18 years now, uh, my family has uh, avoided the McDonald's by the Westminster Mall. I mean, seriously, we're driving in that part of town, and this is 18 years later, and the kids will say, you know, I think we're near it. I think that, 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 McDo- that, you know, when Becky pooped, I think we're close, I think we're nearer, they'll get, they'll get nervous. 
For 18 years, I have not been allowed to tell the story in public and at home in hushed tones. But just recently, Becky said, she said to me, well, sure, Dad, you could tell that story. And one of the kids the other day, I couldn't believe it, we're driving around, they said, you know, hey, we ought to find that old McDonald's where Becky pooped on the slide. And you see, I'm actually really glad that Becky pooped on the slide. And I think she's actually really glad that she pooped on the slide because it's our story. It's the story of our love. It's how Becky learned her name. Becky Awesome, Pretty Pretty Princess, Hyatt. Now I know some will reflect on this sermon and you may be thinking this to yourself already. You may be thinking, oh great, that's just great. Oh, wonderful pastor, so what you're saying is that we should just sin that grace may abound. What you're saying is that we should just go over to McDonald's, poop on the slide so that our father will come along and call us pretty, pretty princess. Is that what you're saying? Well, that's what you're thinking, you just don't understand. For 18 years now, not once has Becky pooped on a slide, not once. Or as far as I know, had in, in another accident, not once. And, and that's not because I bribe her with rewards. It's not because I threaten her with punishment. Becky doesn't poop on the slide because Becky does not want to poop on the slide. And that, you see, is the power of grace. Becky knows her name is not Poop Girl. Her name is Becky, pretty, pretty princess, Hyatt. And pretty, pretty princesses do not poop on the slide of McDonald's. And so on that night, when we were all drowning in our own failure, Jesus the Christ, the ultimate Adam, son of man, took bread and he broke it, saying, this is my body given to you. Take and eat. And in the same manner, after supper and having given thanks, he took the cup and he said, this cup is the new covenant, the eternal covenant in my blood. Pour it out for the forgiveness of sins. Drink of it, all of you, and do it in remembrance of me. So close your eyes, just close your eyes. Do you understand your situation? You're Becky. Two years old, and you were having so much fun. <laughs> and then you began to realize you pooped on the slide. And you don't exactly understand what it means, you don't exactly understand how it happens, but you are surrounded by a room of accusers, and it smells, and they're angry. and you hear a sound. It's your father coming up the slide. Is that good news? 
Or is that bad news? If you think it's bad news, you've been listening to the liar. You are not your crap. You are his treasure. And he comes to save you. For he sees you. You are his treasure, more valuable than anything you can even begin to perceive. That's why you're here this morning. Because he wants to tell you who you are. So just tell him how you feel. Just confess to him. I made a mess of things, Dad. I, I can't hide it. And listen for his voice. He says, I know. I have always known. But my little man, my little girl, you are not what you do. You are who I, I, I say you are. <laughs> I spoke a word and the universe came into existence. I speak a word and tell you who you are. And the word is Jesus. So anyway, this morning we're here to come to this table, surrender our junk and listen for his voice. As you come, I invite you to do that. Just confess to him anything that comes to your mind. And then as you take his body broken and his blood shed, which is his word, remember, listen for a name. He's naming you. And now let me say this. If, if the name does not fit on Jesus, or if the name does not um, go with Jesus, like bride or body, well, then that name is probably coming from an accuser, a liar. Don't listen to it. And if you come forward and, and you just hear nothing, because I know my wife hears all these things, I usually hear nothing. God speaks to me in, in other words. That's, ways, that, that's fine. God, God is naming you, and he uses your whole life to do it. But as you come forward, listen to a name. Listen for a name. Because I know this much. I know, I know your, your surname. You are of the house and the lineage of David. You are of the house and the lineage of Jesus. You belong to him and he is writing on a white stone. And one day you will receive it and when you receive it you'll say, of course, that's who I am. <laughs> and I don't wanna be anybody else. So in Jesus' name, believe the gospel, children of God, amen. That you are a good father. That that's not just us putting our anthropomorphic tendencies on you because you were the one that said it, the one 
from whom all fatherhood is named. So, Lord God, that idea in us of what a good father is, you say to us, I'm better than that. I'm not worse than that. I'm always better. I'm always better. So, Father, I thank you for who you are. Because when I came up that tube side and looked into that little room, everybody was pointing at Becky, but nobody would touch Becky. God, I, I just wanted to touch her, hold her, and all of her crap. I was happy to wear it, Lord God. And that's not from me, that's from you because you are the good father. And Lord, some of us feel like that, like everybody's pointing the finger but no one will touch us because they're terrified of our crap. Oh, Father, I thank you that you are the one that wears all our crap. That's what you did on the cross. You came to this earth and you said, I'll wear it. I'll wear it for you. I'll wear it even into the burning hot love of the glory of God that it would be consumed and we would be forever one. So, Lord Jesus, thank you for who you are, the word of the Father who names us and loves us. We worship you because you deserve our worship. In Jesus' name, amen.